So today we're going to wrap up our Watch Your Mouth series. And uh, one of my favorite movies as a child was this Damon Wayans movie called Major Pain. Did anybody ever see Major Pain? Okay. So for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, Damon Wayans, this hilarious comedian, and there, it's this movie about this ragtag ROTC group of teenagers that Damon Wayans, who is this hardcore military man who's killed way too many people that was unnecessary killing, that they had to uh, kind of move him back down in the ranks, and he's kind of left to be in charge of this ragtag teenage ROTC clan. And so he comes there, and at one point he's yelling in the face of this one kid, are you deaf? Are you blind? And the one of the kids speaks up. He's like, actually, sir, he is deaf, and he is blind. <laughs> actually. And so there's just so many hilarious lines, and one of my, my favorite lines is, what we have here, and I have a terrible accent, what we have here is a failure to communicate. <laughs> you guys remember that line? Anybody? What we have here is a failure to, to, to communicate. And so many of the issues... Going on, I know my accent's terrible. I wish I could do a good Damon Wayans, hardcore military man, but I can't. Um, and so uh, there, there's this really, really uh, amazing nugget that I think we're going to get out of today is that because we're running into some, some failure to communicate maybe in our life, maybe it's with the Lord. Maybe like we just feel like all our prayers are just hitting the ceiling. Maybe it's with a spouse and like, we just like button heads and like we're, we just need a communication breakthrough. Maybe it's with a friend or a family member. Um, and I, I pray that this whole series has really been about the heart because it all starts in the heart. And we're going to continue to talk about that. But I also hope today is an opportunity for us to, to walk away with some really practical nuggets and tools um, to, to walk and find some communication breakthrough because it's, it's a really problem. It's really a big problem for many of us. And I think there's really two types of people, and maybe you don't fall into either one of these categories, but I think many of us fall in one of these two categories. One, it's people who make big issues small issues. We, we minimalize actually big things that are going on that we probably need to address, but we make them small issues and we sweep them under the rug and we really don't deal with them. All right, maybe you're one of those people, or, or, or maybe you're a person that takes a little, little issue and kind of turns it into a big issue. Like, it, it had no reason to explode and to grow, grow into what it did, um, but that's just kind of what we did. I didn't have to, to, to turn into this exploding deal and be angry about it, but somehow I've taken this little stupid little thing, and it's, and it's kind of blown up in my face. And I think many of us fall into these two categories, and I think a lot of it is built like through this, this failure to communicate. And so I really want to give you four, four tools. I've become um, kind of uh, an amateur carpenter, if you will, and building stuff. And I've had to collect tools as I go along. I couldn't just afford to go out and buy, but as I would build a table for someone, I would go and I'd buy a new tool. And when I'd build another table, I'd go buy another tool. And I pray that today, maybe you need all four of these tools. Maybe there's just one that you can walk away, and I really need this one. So hone in on maybe what's the communication, the failure to communicate in your life, if it's with a coworker or a boss or a family member, maybe it's with God, and I pray that he's going to speak to you through one of these four tools, if not all four of them. First tool I want to give you today is the polygraph, is the polygraph. Anybody ever taken a polygraph? Not many. You, okay, some of you have taken polygraphs. That's amazing. Um, one of my favorite, um, I'm sorry, I just think that's really cool. Like, I, I don't know, I'd like to take it. Um, 
But uh, one of my favorite parts in any movie is in Meet the Parents when Robert De Niro has Ben Stiller on. He, like, Ben Stiller wants to marry his daughter, and he puts, he's like the CIA, ex-CIA guy, and uh, he puts him on the polygraph, and he just sweat and blitz, like he's so worried that he's going to mess it up. And let, let me ask you this question. How many of you in the room think that you could fool a polygraph? Anybody think that you could fool it, like you've got it in your bones? Anybody? That, that's, yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really good thing. I'm glad you guys didn't raise your hand because I was setting you up because they say that anybody that could beat a polygraph is probably a psychopath. So, so I was setting you up so you guys are so smart and so honest. And so we'll just skip past polygraph. No, um, no I, I think the first tool for effective communication is we've got to get honest with ourselves. We've got to get honest with God. Uh, a lot of times we assume um, that that line will kind of make our communication easier, but stuff kind of builds up, and there's a lot of unintended consequences to our, our actions and to lying. Uh, each um, tool I give you, I want to go to uh, someone in the Bible who I think learned this lesson that they needed this tool, maybe the hard way. For this first one, for the polygraph, I'm going to look to Abraham in Genesis chapter 20. If you don't know the story of Abraham... Um, he's the, the, the father of Israel, if you will. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, like the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is who Jesus follows in this great lineage of God's chosen people. And he, he called Abraham late in his years to go to a land that he'll show him. And he, he, he takes off on this journey, and, and as he's going, he's crossing the border, and he's nervous. In fact, he's probably more than nervous. He's afraid. He's afraid that they're going to take his wife because she's beautiful, Sarah. They're worried that as he crosses this border, they're going to be like, that's a pretty little girl. And women were treated very differently way back then. They were looked at as property. Most of you know this if you know that kind of story. History. history. Um, They they were looked at as property. And and like throughout the scriptures, especially as we get into the New Testament, there's such um, freedom and life that, that, that the scriptures speak in Christ just speaks so much life into um, what that lo- uh, should look like, the relationship of women and, and the purpose of women and uh, the identity of women. But at this time, they were really looked at as property. So he was worried that, that, um, so that as he crosses this border, they're just going to take his wife and keep her if they know it's his wife. Um, and so he, he, he kind of devises this plan. He's like, look, Sarah, I want you to pretend like you're my wife. I want you to, I mean, like you're my sister, because maybe if you're my sister, they won't want to cross that line and kind of take you as property, but if you're my wife, he, this was just a, a real fear for him, and I think so many of our lies come out of fear. They do. They come out of fear. We're worried about the outcome if we tell the truth, if we get honest what are they going to think about me? What are they going to say about me? What's going to happen if I get real? And one of the big things that as a church we want to be is a place of authenticity, a place of honesty where you can be real uh, and grow. And we've got to get honest with ourselves. So the first tool is a polygraph. Look at what Genesis chapter 20, look at what Abraham says here. Abraham replied, I said to myself, there's surely no fear of God in this place. And they'll kill me because of my wife. Besides, she's, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. She's a distant, she's a, a relative of sorts, and when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere I go, say of me, he's my brother. He didn't want this. I didn't. So it was birthed out of fear, and, 
I think so many of us do that. We, we deny the real emotions that we're dealing. We deny the fear. We deny the guilt. We deny the anger. We deny the hurt, the shame, whatever it is. We, we deny those things. Uh, as the old saying goes, denial just ain't a river in Egypt, right? And we're, we're living this, many of us. And it, the scriptures call us to a life of honesty and truth. And that when the light shines on that darkness, that, that little area, that little shadow area that nobody knows about, that, that it'll bring freedom. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free, and that truth is Christ. And so as we come into a relationship with Christ and we grow in that relationship, every little dark area that we've kind of kept in the secret, don't be surprised as if in a church service or driving down the road or an intense conversation, if you just feel God shining some light on the shadow area that you've been lying about or you've been keeping in the dark. Because he wants to bring it to life. Because there's freedom in that. We become a bondage to our lie. You, you ever found someone that they are such a pathological liar that they're just trapped. They're trapped inside of all these lies that they've built themselves. You, you've been around these people. Maybe you've, at one point, I actually lived like this. I really did. I built all these lies and walls. And I just became so trapped and so lonely and so angry. And it was all because I wasn't being real. And one of the most honest moments in, in my life up to this point was when I was, I was sitting on the bed of a truck with a bunch of friends, and we just got real with each other for like the most real I've ever been with someone uh, up until that point. And I, I just got real, and we began to say like things that were in the shadows, and they were all brothers in Christ, and we were all trying to walk in the freedom uh, of, of the Lord, and, and we just got real. And so I want to challenge you, put the polygraph on, get honest with yourself Denial ain't just a river in Egypt, and, uh, and quit living in denial. Uh, we're, we're not walking in the freedom. Be honest to yourself. Um, be honest with God. With each tool, I want to kind of help this be a little bit memorable, so you'll take these away, and so I'm going to give you a hashtag. You might know about the hashtag. Um, if, if you're over 40, um, you, you probably don't care about the hashtag or know what it is. You, you can ask. You can ask a, a 20-something later on what it is, and you can nod your head politely, and then you can go on with your life and realize, I don't care. <laughs> and, and it doesn't matter at all in your life. Um, and so with the, the hashtags, it's to kind of help be memorable and to follow it. And maybe you even want to post this on social media. Today's uh, polygraph hashtag is, if I'm lying, I'm dying. There was all these unintended consequences for Abraham. Um, Abimelech is the guy who, who wanted his wife and ends up taking his wife. And Abimelech takes Sarah home. And he, he, in a dream, God reveals to him that this is not his sister, but this indeed is his wife. Yes, it's probably a family relation, but it was his wife. And, and Abimelech flips out about it. I mean, think about the unintended consequences, how Sarah felt going into the arms of an, another man. Think of a single guys in here. Think about this for just a second. You're dating a girl, right, and you bring her home to meet your folks, right, and, and she can take your bed, you sleep on the couch type of thing, first night, uh, uh, meeting the, the, the parents, and then in the dream, you wake up with law and order going in the background while you're sleeping. You wake up. Does um, anybody else do that? It's a perfect show to make me fall asleep with terrible things happening. Um, anyway, you, you wake up and God's like, this girl's married. You flip out. And so there's unintended consequences to Abraham's actions with Sarah and with Abimelech. And so he ends up coming back to repentance and understanding that this was not the right thing. 
and um, that they move on. So the second tool I want to give you today is a, is a tuner, is a tuner. Uh, there was this one weekend where um, there was something going on with one of the foot pedals up here, um, one that, that's mine, and the tuning has to be just right. When you're, you're tuning off of a certain frequency, and for any music nerds, it's like 440 hertz. That's the, the, le- the note A. Um, it's that perfect thing. And when that was shifted off just a couple of notches, everything was off. It made everything sound terrible. James tells us that we need to be quick to listen. And it took me about a half hour to diagnose this problem of what was actually going on. The frequency was off. It was so frustrating. And I think so many of us, our failure to communicate is actually a failure to listen. James tells tells us, be slow to speak. James 1.26. Be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to get angry. So I'm preaching this point with great gusto this morning. But I have trouble living this point. I do. And I think many of us have trouble living this point. If you have any questions about this, you can ask my wife. I do. I have trouble doing this. She'll ask me to do something or ask something, and then five minutes later, she's like, hey, um, did you do that yet? And I'm like, you didn't say that to me. What are you talking about? You know what you're talking about? And I'm like, I look at her like, she's crazy. And she's like, I'm not crazy. You're crazy. I said this. And what I've found is that she's, she's right. I'm not engaged. I'm, I'm not listening. I'm not locking in. And there's a, there's a reason. There's such power. And I think many times we hear this. Oh, let's be quick to listen. Let's listen to one another. Let's listen. But I don't think we understand the meaning of what happens when we listen. Look at Nehemiah chapter 1. We taught on a series on Nehemiah about a year ago. And this whole summer, we went with our staff team. We went through a Bible study chapter by chapter of the book of Nehemiah. What I, one of the things that I admire so much about Nehemiah is how much he was in tune with God. From the very beginning to the very end, he was a faithful man, and he listened to God. Look what, what they said. They said to me, Nehemiah had sent some men out to check out what Jerusalem was looking like, what the walls looked like, because they had been exiled. They had been run up out of there, and they were in the Babylonian exile at this time. They said to me, those who survived the exile uh, and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. I mean, you just think of St. Augustine or some of these towns that have been run through or something in Louisiana where things are just a mess and what's going on in people's life, trouble and disgrace. Like, that's kind of what they're dealing with. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. When I, heard, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He heard it. And what came after the listening, what came after the hearing, real emotion. If we would begin to have a tuner in our relationship. If, if we would be quick to listen, I wonder how differently that conversation would go if we actually listened with intent to understand. St. Francis of Assisi said this very um, well, much better than I can. Seek to understand before seeking to be understood. But we live in a culture right now where everybody's talking and nobody's listening. Right? I mean, it's almost like it's like political season, and like it's like the most obnoxious time of the year. It's the most obnoxious time of the year. Um, it, it is. Uh, let me just get you in the political spirit there by singing a Christmas song with it. Um, it is because everybody's talking and no one's listening. 
It's just words. It's just words. It's just words. No one's listening to, to really understand. And when we listen and seek to understand, like when, when I actually want to not just hear what's coming out of her, her mouth, but what's actually going on, maybe instead of responding with anger or frustration or just moving on with it, maybe I'll, I'll respond with emotion. There'll be emotion that follows that. I'll actually have compassion for what she's feeling in that moment, for what she's going through. We, we seek to, to understand before seeking to be understood, but we live in this generation. I, I mean, so, ma- so many people, like, we, we put a quick, like, post on Facebook, and then, like, two minutes later, we're checking to see if anybody is hearing us. We're seeing if anybody's out there, anybody's listening. We're just, we're dying to be, to be heard. And as, as believers, as the body of Christ, like, we've got to be quick to listen to one another. At our marriage conference, there was this funny video. They were called Killer Marriage Tips, and they were, like, really terrible marriage tips. And one of the tips was, um, hey, while your wife is talking, you take the time while she's talking to think of a great comeback. And so you spend the whole time while she's talking not actually listening, but just coming with a great comeback. Like, that's how the good comebacks happen. And so many times we do that, we just... We're just waiting to respond. We're not genuinely listening. And so I, I want to challenge you to tune in, be quick to listen. We're, we're bad listeners. We just are. We're distracted. We're, we're selfish. But when we listen, we, we learn. When we listen, we, we can empathize with a situation. Um, and I think so much, much of this boils down as Sometimes when we're angry that nobody else is hearing us, really it's because we haven't stepped back and said, does God hear me? And when we realize that we have the ear of the creator of the universe, as sons and daughters, like, gr- grab that for a second. <laughs> like we have the ear, like, when, like look through the scriptures and when God's people call out to him, He's, he's listening. He's listening. And when we understand that he hears us, if nobody else does, Romans 8, 26, that he even hears the groanings of our heart even before they sound like it. He even hears the groanings of our heart, things that never come out to anyone else. He, he hears us. And when we understand that, that kind of changes things. When I wake up understanding that I can have this very honest conversation that God hears because there's nothing I can hide from him because he knows already. So I might as well just be honest. For, you know, before I put the polygraph on, let's just be real. He, he knows already. So I can walk in this, but we've got to tune our ears to, to what, um, g- that God hears us first of all and know that. And then we can tune our ears to what those are saying around us and that we can understand what's really happening. It's a powerful tool for communication breakthrough. You see, God gave us two ears and one mouth. So that's our hashtag for this one. Hashtag two ears, one mouth. And so maybe this just needs to be a reminder um, uh, at home. I'm just going to do this with my wife. Like, hey, if I'm not listening, I want you to hashtag me and be like, hashtag two ears, one mouth. Like, let me talk. I want you to hear what I'm saying here. Um, All right, next tool. Third tool for uh, communication breakthrough. Hopefully something's hitting home here. Is Rosetta Stone. Anybody know what Rosetta Stone is? 
right? I actually use a great app called Duolingo, which is really great. Some, um, some MIT students put together. It's in an app form, so uh, I love it. Uh, Rosetta Stone is pretty expensive, um, but I just figured you would know what Rosetta Stone was, and you probably wouldn't know what Duolingo is. But um, it's time we learn a new language. It's time we learn uh, a new language, and we have to know what's going on around us. Moses is the person I want to point our attention to. And we'll get to uh, Exodus chapter 4 here in just a second. Some of us know who Moses is, but I think when you begin to see the landscape of his life and what his story looks like, we have to understand that he had to be pretty adaptable. And he kind of struggled with this whole communication thing. It was kind of a a big deal for him. Um, Let let me just tell you his story. And uh, if you could clear that background for us so we could read that in just a second. Um, Moses was uh, a born Hebrew, an Israelite. He was born Hebrew, and he, he came to a, a place um, where he was, he was going to be murdered as a, a little baby, and his, uh, his, his mom, like in thoughts to keep him safe, put him in this little basket and dropped him down the river in hopes to save his life. And so he's, he's basically an orphan child, orphaned child with good intentions, but um, he's an orphan child, and, and he gets picked up by the daughter of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh of Egypt. He gets picked up, and at this point, he, he, he goes into the house of Pharaoh. The girl keeps him, and he basically becomes the adopted son. Um, a Hebrew boy becomes the adopted son of the Pharaoh of Egypt when the Pharaoh of Egypt was killing all the firstborn children. One dead. He wanted control over them. And so he, he gets raised in the palace in Pharaoh's like kingdom and becomes very fluent and educated. And God was preparing him through this season. And he ends up leaving. And when he leaves, all this injustice that he sees over his people, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, all this injustice he sees when he leaves, he ends up trying to avenge it for himself. I don't know if you know this part of Moses' story. He sees uh, an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And he's like, that's my, that's my people. And so he gets there and he kills this Egyptian man. Yeah, Moses, God's leader to lead people up out of Israel, murdered a man in cold blood out of vengeance. Killed him. And at this point, people start finding out what he did. He realizes and he goes on a run. He becomes a fugitive. Like he's running for his life. And then God would call him to go back to his adopted grandfather and say, let my people go to set the uh, Israelites free from their slavery. So it's this incredible story of so many turns from orphan child to in the palace of a king to a fugitive. And then we get to this in Exodus chapter 4. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, I love this response. Who gave human beings their mouth? Okay, good point, God. Good point. Um, Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I'll help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Lord, your servant, Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Like, he's over. He's like, yeah, that's nice. I know you gave me my mouth. I know you're going to teach me. Come alongside me in this. But I'm good. Like, I'd rather not. His his insecurity. God's calling for Moses, one of the greatest that we see in the Bible. 
to lead Israel. It, it, it's just going to be this incredible opportunity. And he's calling a man that's so insecure about his speech. So insecure about his speech. And God's saying, dude, I made your mouth. I can help you work this out. But he, he, he still, he's like, no. Like, send someone else. Like, you ever, ever feel like God's telling you something? Or telling you to do something? And you're just like, Send somebody else. Like your insecurity is getting the best of you. You're like, I'm good. Or maybe you're like super pumped sometimes. And then you get to a point and you're like, you know, this is just too hard. Just send someone else. If I was really honest with you, for, for many couple, for the first couple of years of our church, I was just so filled with faith. And then for whatever reason, I hit this kind of rocky patch and it just spiritually and just like I was just under the weight of what. I was going through personally, emotionally, it was nothing probably even big church-wise. It was just me. And I was, I never said this, never thought, like, just send somebody else, God. Like, would you just send somebody else? And maybe you've been there. And the Lord got mad with Moses. He's like, dude, I'm going to teach you. I gave you your mouth. We're going to work this out. And he said, what about your brother, Aaron, the Levite? And when I look at this, I'm like, did God just compromise with Moses? Did he just like compromise with him or was he trying to get, I don't, I don't know what was going on here. Um, you don't hear the pastor say that much. I don't know what he was trying to do here, but God basically compromised with him and he brings up your brother Aaron, the Levite. I know that he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you and he'll be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth and I'll help both of you speak and teach you what to do. He'll speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth as if you were God to him. Maybe God's bringing an Aaron in your life to help you work through some of your insecurities. And God's going to teach you, and he's going to teach the Aaron in your life to come alongside you and help you way through the, na- the navigate through kind of the details of your insecurity and your struggle. Maybe, maybe there's something going on there that, that God's going to bring someone alongside of you. Whatever it is, he's going he's gonna to teach you He's going to walk alongside of you. Every season that we go through is designed to stretch us. Like the high seasons, like God's like, when we're on top of the mountain, everything's going amazing. There's actually some things that God's trying to stretch us in. And when we're in the low seasons, the valley, like God's trying to, he's stretching some things. He's, he's, he's growing us in that. And it happens constantly through communication. And what many times, when we take the big issue, the issue we're running into with a certain person or a certain personality type, and we try to sweep that under the rug, I always just shake my head. And I'm like, you know they're going to show up at your next job too. When you quit that job because you can't handle that boss anymore because they're very direct and you just can't take direct communication. Come on, somebody with me. And, and you just say, all right, I'm out of here and you go to your next job, you know God's going to bring another boss that's very direct, and you're going to have to learn that as well because it's a different personality type. A lot of times we're trying to run from things, and we think we've got major people problems, but sometimes we've just got some communication issues. It's a failure to communicate, and we don't have people problems. We've got personality problems. We, 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 we say, hey, I love God, and I love people until we get to a personality that makes us uncomfortable or we're not used to. Like, all right, I can't love that personality. I have trouble. And I think we've got to be honest with that and, and learn to speak to, to different, different personality groups. What I love is John 1, 14, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
God knew that we needed to see it. God, God, Jesus always communicated in parables. He was helping us understand. He was communicating with the people, and he was connecting uh, with uh, the people. And so as ministers of the gospel, our language that we need to learn above all else, above all the different personality types and those types, the language that we need to learn is the language of love. As ministers of the gospel, whatever we do and whatever we say, it better be in love. Because we are ambassadors of Christ, as Paul said to the church at Ephesus. We're ambassadors for him. We're sent out to, to, to be a representation, as Paul said it to the Corinthian church, that the gospel is literally written on our flesh. It, you, the gospel or, or the um, law used to be written on tablets of stone, and now it's written on tablets of flesh. That everywhere we go, people would see the love and the law of God. That he called people into relationship with himself. And, and so we've got to have the language of love. We went to, went to Paris last um, spring. I got to see some flowers in Amsterdam, and it was really cool. And uh, I tried to learn up on Duolingo, the French language, and I did pretty terribly. Um, but I tried. I tried at least. Um, and one thing I did get was langue de l'amour. Anybody know what that means? The language of love. There's this beautiful French language, and so your hashtag is the language of love in French, langue de l'amour. And so we, we've got to learn this new language, and, and the main Biggest more than anything, if we're going to communicate, we've got to communicate in love. Let me give you the last one here. Today, last, um, the last tool is the scalpel. I saw this really interesting video, and this is neither here nor there, but of, on YouTube, there's this guy who does surgery on food. It's very interesting, and you'll start watching it, and you're like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And then you'll watch the whole video, and you're like, was there another one he's doing? And you'll like watch three or four more. <laughs> and so he, he took this Oreo. He, he did like a, 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 a stuffing transplant of an Oreo and a Reese's cup, and he took the scalpel, and he opened the Oreo, and then he, he scraped off the cream inside the Oreo. And then he went to the Reese's cup, and then he, 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 he cut a circle, and then he very carefully, very carefully peeled the chocolate back. And then he, he took a, a little thing to scoop out the peanut butter, and he went back and he got some more peanut butter and cleaned out the inside of that Reese's cup. And then he put the peanut butter inside the Oreo and put it back. And then he put the cream and put it back inside that. Going back to the language of love, that's kind of what God does with us. It's a transplant become a new person in Christ. It takes on a whole new flavor, and it's from the, the, the inside out. All right, so I just made that stupid thing really spiritual. Um, <laughs> but your fourth tool for, for communication breakthrough is, is probably the biggest one, because the scriptures say that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the, the person that, that came to mind that I really wanted to, to, to talk on in this fourth one is Samuel, or not Samuel, I'm sorry, is David out of the book of Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 24 is where we're going to be going in just a second. But let me tell you the story first. David, most of you know, he slayed Goliath, and people started singing songs about him. Saul has slayed his thousands, and David tens of thousands. Everybody's, he, he's like kind of rising up through the ranks. He's the person that everybody's cheering for. He is the Tim Tebow of 1 Samuel. 
right? He's kind of this, he's kind of come up, homegrown right here in East High School. And everybody's rooting for him. And then he comes to this place. You can clear the scripture. We'll get there in a minute. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 20. He's running for his life at this point because Saul is a super insecure leader. And everybody's thinking David's amazing and they want him out of there. They don't want a quarterback controversy with Tim Tebow, if you will, right? And so they, they get it. So David goes on the run. He's a harpist and like he plays, he plays the, the guitar for Saul, if you will. That's all he does. But Samuel, who's the prophet of the Lord, comes alongside, comes and he anoints David that you are the next king. You are God's chosen king. And so Saul is so insecure, he just pursues him. He tries to kill him a couple times in his own palace. And then David goes on the run, running through the desert, going through the, the forest. And, and, and finally, he's hiding out in these different caves. And at one point when Saul is chasing him with a bunch of men, you know, nature calls. And so Samuel or um, Saul goes into this cave, and I don't know if it was number one or number two, but he was relieving himself. And uh, he, he goes in there, and David is hiding out. And David comes up beside him. And if we were watching this in a movie, we are just sitting on the edge of our feet. I mean, it's, it's such a picture-perfect, like, motion picture. I don't know why they haven't done it yet. They probably, it's probably in the works right now. And so there, David comes up behind him, and we're just waiting. We're just waiting for him to pop his neck or stab him or something. We just want him to rise up and take him out so he can live in safety. He'd become king, and we all kind of rejoice. Yay! The crowd goes wild. Comes up behind him, and when he, he's wanting to kill him, he instead just takes a knife, and he just cuts the edge of Saul's garment. Like, ooh, that's like an intense statement. Like, he's going to walk, he's going to see that later. He's going to be fearful. Maybe that's what it is. But something different happens. David walks away, and that's where we pick up right here. Afterward, David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I do such a thing to my master. The Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. He's, again, David's anointed in waiting, but he's recognizing that God's put this man in position. With these words, sharply uh, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went away. Right after this, David will come out and confront him, and he'll bow down in repentance to Saul. That's really, really deep. And very few, if any of us in this room, would kind of have that in us. To first of all, hold back when someone's chasing us for our life. We just want to take him out in that moment. But then he cuts his corner and God convicts him of it. God convicts him of this act of passive aggression. Come on, let's just turn this to a communication thing. Let's talk about what we're talking about. And some of us, we're not saying it, but our eyes are telling the story of what we really feel. What's really on the inside. Maybe it's not what we said, maybe it's what we didn't say. Maybe it's like, Mama said, if you ain't got nothing good to say, don't say nothing. But what if God's going to do a heart transplant with us? Take the peanut butter and put it inside the Oreo. What if God wants to really, really do something in our heart? I wonder how that just might transform our communication. I wonder if that might transform some 
difficult relationships and they just haven't turned out like we thought and maybe we, we just we need some breakthrough on that front. David just takes such a humble place here of repentance. God prunes him in this season. There's a few things that we need to know that, first of all, God prunes the ones he loves. John chapter 15. God prunes the one he loves. So if you feel conviction about something, if God's drawing your attention and shining some light, know he's doing it in love. Romans 8, 1 says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. So if you are in uh, right standing, you, you have said yes to Jesus in receiving of his grace for the repentance of sins. If you've in that stand, then there's no condemnation, it's conviction. If you're getting condemnation, that's coming from the enemy. That's not coming from God. But I wonder what, what God might do in our heart. I wonder what might happen from there. God, God prunes us. He prunes us. He prunes us in three different ways. He prunes us, first of all, through the Bible. Everything it, it, we have, it, it's what we got, is, is the Bible. And the, in the Second Timothy um, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, says that the, the scriptures, the word of God, is sharper than any two-edged shor- sword. Sword. Um, it's sharper than any two-edged, it's like a Monty Python deal. Um, and so it's, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. But you know what's really, really dull? What's a really, really dull blade to learn from is experience. Think about this. So many of us, we ignore God's words and his principles and his precepts. A vi- any surgeon will tell you that blade needs to be sharp. Or else it's going to do more damage than it's going to do good. Experience is a very dull blade. And if you keep ignoring God's word, I'm telling you, you're going to learn the lesson, but instead of humbling yourself in this moment, at some point you're going to be humiliated. Because experience is a very dull blade. But the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. If if that doesn't get you saying, man, I want to run to God's word and like do that because so I don't have to learn to the dull blade of experience, I I don't know what will. We might have to learn that the hard way. Let me give you just quick advice for reading God's word. First, pray before, pray during, pray after. God, help my heart to be open and receptive to what you're about to say. While I'm reading it, God, what are you saying to me? What's actually happening here? Speak what is true. And then after, God, help this just be sealed in my heart. Help me not just to hear the word of God and walk away and act like I never saw it, but help me to walk in it. Help me to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word. Secondly, ask questions to people further along in in the journey with you. Ask someone in the know, like, hey, what's this saying to me? I'm trying to figure this out. I think it's saying this. Is Is that biblical for it to be saying this? What's actually happening here? I don't know enough about the context. Can you give me thought of this. And then thirdly, be a doer of the word. Don't just hear it. Do something about it. We keep, sometimes God tells us to do one thing, and then we start looking for the next thing he wants us to do when we haven't done the last thing he told us to do. <laughs> like, God, why aren't you answering me? Well, if you would do what I said to do first, step one, then we'll get to your next instructions. But we got, God does that sometimes. So the Bible, the Holy Spirit, that God brings us the Holy Spirit. When we pray, we pray, God, God, lead me into all. The, the Holy Spirit said to, to lead. It's a personal part of, of God's character, leaning into us and who he is, to lead us into all truth about Christ. So when we read, we pray, God, Holy Spirit, like, teach me. Like, what are you saying about Christ? What are you saying about 
my redemption in you. What are you saying? Holy Spirit empowers us and, and, and leads us into to all truth about Christ. Um, and, and then thirdly, godly leadership. Godly leadership. Um, I think this is one we often miss because we live in an, an era and an age in which we're really skeptical of everyone, really. <laughs> we have, like, our trust issues with God probably are more trust issues with people. And I think it goes into the church. We've got real, like, trust issues with godly leadership. But you look through the New Testament, and God has established leadership within the body. And God's put people over us in the Lord to speak life into us, to encourage us. And like David, he recognized that. He recognized that, and that he, would, he felt convicted about How many of you would feel even convicted about that? Like, no, nah, he got off easy. I'm not even worried about it. But he, I want to touch the Lord's anointed. And, and, that does, and you, don't have to, you don't have to forsake discernment to, to walk in honor. You hear what I'm saying? You, if you're discerning something, that's one thing. But I, and I think a lot of times we, we think we can be subtly rebellious to leaders that are over us. And I don't care if that's a boss. Even a boss, you, you don't like the way that he communicates to you. And, and so I'm just going to be passively aggressive. I'm just going to be subtly rebellious. But sometimes the subtly rebellious is way more damaging and way more destructive than the overtly rebellious. Like we might come and like, you know, sit and worship and, and everything, and then we walk out and then we're talking junk uh, uh, about uh, one of the leaders in the church, me or somebody else. And I'm not, this message isn't all about godly leadership. We'll do that another time. But I want us to understand that God's put people in our life to come around us, to encourage us, to speak life into us. And you don't have to check out and, and not uh, be, dis- um, you don't have to check out on the discernment in order to, to walk in submission to the godly leadership that he's placed in your life. And so, your hashtag is scalpel, please. Like, we just need to cry out to the Lord and be like, God, what, what do you need to do? What do you need to do here? What do you want to do in my heart? Luke 6.45, Jesus said, guard your heart for everything you do flows out of it. The psalmist in Psalm 26, too, says, examine my heart test my motives. And so as we begin to close today, I want to ask you to stand. I ask you to stand with me. And I don't know kind of what your challenges are in your relationships right now. Maybe it's that you don't feel like God's hearing you. Maybe it's that you're not being honest about what's really going on beneath the surface. I don't know. I don't know. Um, But I want you to bow your head with me and just ask what God's speaking to you in this moment. Ask him to to speak into your heart, to to prune these areas that we don't trust him, that we're not speaking the language of love. And these guys are going to lead us in a song in a minute, and I'm going to invite, I'm going to invite you to pray. I'm going to invite you to come up here and, and, and Let's pray together. If you'll just close your eyes with me. God, if I pray that you just break through today. I pray that some situations that have been stagnant and dead, 
some relationships that have kind of fizzling and we're running kind of headfirst and nothing seeming to work. God, I pray for some breakthrough. Maybe it's these tools. Maybe it's just the power of your presence that just breaks into our heart today. But I pray, God, rather than trying to escape the problem, that you would invade the problem. Bring your Holy Spirit and prune our hearts, God. Teach us through the power of your words, the power of your spirit, that we might not sin against you, but we might walk in the truth, we might walk in love. In Christ's name, amen. If you're in this house,